Welcome to Strong and Free, the podcast dedicated to providing you with the information that you need on the topics of the day. No bias, no conjecture, just facts. So, let's go. Tuition is going up. Period. Fact. Full stop. If you were a student in 1990 in Ontario, you probably paid about $2,100 for one year of post-secondary. Today, the average is anywhere between $5,700, $7,000 to $9,000. That's a dramatic increase. More and more students are taking out loans, and more and more students are ending up with $25,000 on average in debt upon graduation of their first degree today. It also doesn't help the fact that so many more people have degrees. So many more people have post-secondary education, college diplomas, university degrees than ever before. In my recent blog post on Medium and on LinkedIn, I pointed to the RBC study that saw an 18-year trend in Canada with the number of people enrolling in post-secondary education constantly going up. 18 years more and more Canadians are getting educated. We're one of the most educated workforces in the world. So it doesn't help that when you're trying to do your first degree, you're met with this onslaught of tuition payments. Now, what do you think are some of the barriers? I mean, I see the protests, and we can all remember the protests when we were students, of student groups talking about raising tuition costs and how high and how unattainable it came for the regular person. Well, the problem is, is that statistics are just not being kept by the Ministry of Training Colleges and Universities to determine whether or not the breakdown of those coming from families with lower than $50,000 are actually entering post-secondary education. I think, first of all, there might be tons of barriers for students coming from those low-income families to even think about post-secondary education. So are there statistics to show that students coming from these low-income families are trying to enter post-secondary and they simply can't because of the tuition costs? I mean, that could be just a natural solution that we come to, but where are the statistics to prove that? I would assume that there are so many other barriers that those students face and so many real, legitimate life concerns that they have. Like making money today is important to put food on the table for tomorrow, for not only themselves, but maybe for their siblings and for their family members. Those are the real issues that they have to face with, I would assume, today. And maybe post-secondary is just not a thought in their mind right now. It's a thought for a later them. Also, how many students are taking out OSAP loans that come from $150,000, $170,000 families? Sorry, $170,000 combined household income families. That was a metric that was used by previous governments and even the current government to determine your grants and loans. But where, where is the evidence to show that the majority of loans are coming from kids and students that come from these backgrounds? You know, it's an odd statistic, an odd metric to use. Just because your parents make 200 grand, 300 grand, it's to assume that they will pay for your post-secondary education? That's not always the case. But I can't even tell you exactly how many kids are coming from those backgrounds because there are no statistics to show that. I say no because I couldn't find any on the ministry's website. And the Auditor General even said in its report that the ministry fails to keep proper statistics on the types of students in in terms of their income and their family income and how much loans and how much grants they're receiving. So how can we make public policy if the core pieces of making that public policy are missing? 
Where is the evidence to show that this, the new changes that the PC party is introducing is beneficial? But also, where is the evidence to show that keeping things status quo was beneficial as well? Look, the reality is tuition is going up, but I think we need evidence to show where relief is needed the most. Maybe it's for kids that are household income is $100,000 and they're qualifying for loans more than grants. Maybe it's for students that have been out of high school a certain number of years because they were working and they need more help. Maybe it's for kids that are coming from $200,000 and $300,000 loans and their parents are just not supporting them through university and college and they themselves have to figure that out. What was interesting in the Auditor General's report, too, was looking at the different types of programs where defaults occurred, and they were mostly in culinary arts in private colleges and police administration and police foundation programs as well. Why? Why were students defaulting on their loans from these programs? Maybe more outreach to those students to help them figure out financial literacy targeted to those programs would be necessary. But this all rests on better public policy. Today, so many students, so many people are protesting the changes that the Ontario government is proposing to the OSAP program. But the problem I see is that the evidence showing the changes are needed is lacking, not just from this government, but from the ministry. The ministry should have been collecting data over all of these decades about the individual taking out grants and loans, to see the actual breakdown, their age, their gender, their background, their family income. Are people from lower income families taking out OSAP in droves? If not, how can we ensure that their other barriers are being mitigated? I think if we want to have evidence-based decisions, we need evidence-based policy. And I think we also need to have evidence-based protests. Anyhow, this is just some food for thought. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Strong and Free, the podcast dedicated to providing you with the information that you need on the topics of the day. And remember, stay balanced, stay informed, 